This is a Federal News Network podcast. It is getting crowded up in space these days, and not just from operational equipment. Tens of thousands of objects are circling Earth, threatening launch vehicles, space assets, and even human lives. Now a coalition of experts is pressing lawmakers to do something about it before it's too late. I recently spoke to one of the members of the AIAA Space Traffic Management Coalition, Dan Dumbacker, who himself is executive director of the AIAA. When you look at, and and I know you've got some of the numbers, but I'll just repeat them for effect, is we've got 1,500 pieces up there now. We've got a a base of 40,000 pieces up there now that the Space Command tracks. Um, 1,500 were added by the Russian move in the fall, which was irresponsible. You've got 13,000 satellites that the Chinese are going to be putting up soon. Um, our own, the, the U.S. providers alone have already put up 2,000 satellites of, of several thousand, tens of thousands that they plan to put up. So the numbers are growing and they're growing quickly and they're growing because of the economic um, potential. So the importance is clear. Uh, and our big concern is making sure or getting this problem addressed uh, while we have time to think about it and do it uh, in an appropriate manner as opposed to reacting to a catastrophe. And we got a catastrophe brewing with so many objects up in orbit. Uh, We have a catastrophe brewing, not only in terms of what satellite to satellite, we've got humans on board the International Space Station uh, that are at risk because of this. So uh, from our perspective, uh, this is uh, a four alarm fire and in many respects, it needs to be addressed. It needs to be addressed now. And, not only for the near term, but also for the far term growth of the economy. Yeah, despite the economic opportunities that exist, and that's the main reason why commercial space companies uh, in the U.S. and whether it's the Chinese government or Russian government, you know, they know that this is a problem, obviously. So, you know, what do they say when they're like, well, you know, well, we're going to still launch thousands of satellites, even though there's already it's getting so crowded up there. Uh, what, what do you hear, I guess, is there as their excuse for, you know, kind of negating that the fact that there's tons of debris already? <laughs> well, I. I I certainly wouldn't use the word excuse. Yeah. <laughs> I think th- their thought process is they see a driver from a, from a service perspective and from an economic perspective. It's becoming more and more important. I, I will point to the example right now where Starlink is actually working to provide satellite stations to the Ukrainians uh, in the middle of the invasion response. There are needs, there are real needs there now. There is real economic opportunity. And so I think from their perspective is keep pushing, and I don't blame them, keep pushing the ball forward. Right now, the holdup is the issue is on the government side, the U.S. government side, with getting um, Space Policy Directive 3 implemented in and appropriated in law. Uh, and that's been our focus is to force because that's the key linchpin that needs to be addressed uh, immediately. Uh, we've been talking to appropriators and authorizers on the Senate and House side both. Uh, everyone understands the importance of the problem. We have to move the, the legislation forward. 
Uh, the Senate has taken some steps. We're waiting on the House side. Uh, and there's work to do on that front. And it's that authorization of the Office of Space Commerce in the Department of Commerce, reporting to the secretary or the deputy secretary at the high level, not buried in the organ, not buried in the bureaucracy. Uh, that's important uh, to get this ball rolling and to get them appropriations so that we can get the ball moving and get the right things going on. Everything from uh, the overall governing policy to the actual on-orbit mission authorization that's so essential. Yeah, and part of that plan, you mentioned the OSC or the, you know, giving it appropriations to do the job of regulating space infrastructure. Uh, I'm just curious what you would think that agency should look like uh, in order to be effective. Uh, well, I, I'm not going to get into the design of their organization. I'm going to let them do that. I, what we will say is that it's important that it has uh, the visibility across all of the Department of Commerce, not just one organization like NOAA, uh, so that it has the ability uh, not only to work across the Department of Commerce, uh, but also to work at the proper levels with other government agencies and international partners. Uh, the level of re response or the level of direction coming directly from the uh, uh, Secretary of the Department of Commerce, the Deputy Secretary, is important because that's where the gravitas comes from uh, to work with across the across all the government sectors, across with our international partners, and particularly including when I say the government, I also include the National Space Council as part of that. And I'm just curious, also, you know, maybe the FAA would want to get involved in this space as they are already. Um heavily invested in the regulation of what goes up there. Uh, as far as that, do you see any other agencies uh, in particular maybe putting their uh, hand towards this effort? Well, you, you have uh, multiple agencies with different aspects of the problem. Uh, FAA has the launch authorization aspect. DOD currently has the tracking aspect, and they're trying to get out of the um, they need to do what they need to do for their mission. They don't need to be doing it for everybody. Uh, and then you have what NASA needs to do uh, just from its own mission areas. The uh, FAA, NOAA's involved because of their satellites. And so it's this, this whole of government, this cross-government issue uh, on, on a problem of this nature is why we are pushing hard on the uh, Office of Space Commerce reporting uh, at the highest levels of the of the Department of Commerce, uh, because then it's also going to bring, you know, the old model that Kevin O'Connell was building was going in the right direction. Uh, and so it, it also is going to start to, the other key aspect of this that I haven't been explicit about is the U.S. action, U.S. leadership is important for the rest of the world, particular on many fronts, and particularly this one. Uh, and there will be heavy international engagement uh, and international involvement in the in, in having the Office of Space Commerce at the right level, reporting uh, to the leadership of the Department of Commerce is what's needed. Uh, to to be able to facilitate all the right discussions at the right levels 
um, with all the potential partners. Let's discuss that Space Policy Directive 3. Um, could you lay out a little bit about what that um, did or what that policy measure did and what you still feel needs to be completed underneath that directive? So Space Policy Directive 3 fundamentally just lays out that the Office of Space Commerce uh, has been deemed responsible uh, for the overall overall coordination and guidance for the space debris, space traffic management um, issues. That is a that's an executive um, branch um, position. Uh, what's needed is one is what's really needed. The prime objective here is the SPD three implemented in law by the legislative branch with appropriations applied by the by the uh, legislative branch since. Congress holds the purse strings. They also have input on the uh, on the authorization, which will define uh, where this organization should be as part of the executive branch, and then properly funding that effort. And it's that authorization and funding that is absolutely key right now. That's the that's the immediate need. Could you see any other new technologies offering solutions as well uh, when it comes to decommissioning satellites or any other sort of uh, space objects that are, uh, you know, whether they're being still used or not? Um, Are there any that you think that could help us ease the burden of actually getting these things out of there? Or maybe, you know, they could repair the satellites so that they're still useful instead of just floating around up there or, you know, any anything that uh, that the industry has on tap that might help this problem? Well, interestingly enough, there are new technologies coming out every day, Eric. It's what's, and, and that's why this is so um, important for the government to provide that overall coordination. Orchestration is a word I also use uh, because you have these new companies coming out like Leo Labs and Astroscale and others that are bringing technology forward and and those are and those are coming about because they see the economic potential uh, and their and, and the need, and so they are trying to put those positions in place. You also see the space force um, asking for ideas and soliciting ideas on this topic as well. Uh, the beauty of of our uh, economic approach in this country is that the competition and the need and the economic potential will drive the new technologies out. Uh, and that's what's so important is to set up the construct and the framework so that the companies and all of the technology developers know what constraint, know what box they're playing in and how to go address it. Uh, and who's responsible for what decisions so that, number one, they have clarity from a business perspective, which is lack of decision clarity is a business risk. So we need to get clarity on the decision process. Uh, they need to know what the guidance is for mission authorization, who's who's the deter- who's the decider, and what are the criteria. Uh, and then they can be left to go develop the technologies to go meet those uh to work within that construct and then go meet the needs. Uh, and you see new technologies coming out every almost weekly uh, for what, for what the possibility and how people want to attack the problem. So uh, 
the government with the with the right setup at the Office of Space Commerce and the funding to get things started, then the technology starts to develop from there. Yeah, this this being Federal News Network, uh, I have to ask you about the potential contracting side of things. Do you foresee maybe uh, some space traffic management contracts uh, coming if this funding does come through, uh, where you know a, a company may be just tasked with managing what goes up and what stays up, uh, sort of thing, or is that a little bit too far down the road? <laughs> Uh, I don't know that that's too far down the road, Eric. I think if you look at it, it's clear uh, that all of the expertise needed to go do this does not reside in the government. Uh, and it actually, so there's going to be one aspect of this of technical support to to the Office of Space Commerce. So that's a, it, and there are co- many companies out there that can do that. Some of some of which are AIAA members, by the way. Uh, <laughs> there's also the aspect of the government also establishing the need and being. I hate to use the word anchor tenant, but I'm not coming up with a better one. But a but a funder for driving things forward, such as the solicitation from the space force, because. There are going to be mission needs that need to be that will that must be addressed, and the government will be the funding agent for that. So that will result in contracts or acquisition opportunities. I'm going to say it that way. I'm actually going to back off of the word contract because I don't know. Uh, we need to allow the multiple acquisition models to play out for whatever is appropriate in the application. Uh, so I'll be I'll, I'll use the term acquisition as opposed to contracts just to be a little more broad and allow some flexibility on that front. Uh, but I think certainly there's opportunity of that when you look at uh, the National Association of Public Administration's report uh, that they put out. Uh, they talked budgets in terms of 15 million or so just to get this started for the Office of Space Commerce. Then averaging out 45 million in the out years. That's the first part of what I was talking about, probably the support. There's going to be support needed in that aspect. And then there's going to be the mission needs that will be funded by the, by the appropriate government agency that will all be part of this addressing this problem. So in these uh, meetings with on the Hill that you've had, you know, you've laid out, look, you know, this, this is what it could potentially cost. Why don't you uh, tell us what the actual upside is and what the potential for money-making opportunities or, you know, improving national security that there could be if a space traffic management uh, threshold is met? Well, certainly I'll just take that one part at a time. If I go from a national security perspective, uh, we've already seen um, what bad actors can do and what the results are and how it can impact ongoing government missions. Our national security assets can be affected on orbit by debris. Uh, we have to start planning and working around it along with our human tended activities, such as the space station are all at risk because of debris. So from a I've got a national security aspect. I've got a civil space exploration aspect to this. And then I have this burgeoning low Earth orbit economy 
that is dependent on the assets to be able to perform their function. And if they're constantly having to move around to dodge debris or get impacted by debris, they certainly aren't able to perform their function, which results in economic loss. So all of this ties together uh, and all of this is important, which is why AIAA is taking this uh, topic on as one of our top priorities. This has been an ongoing thing. This isn't new. Uh, you can go back a couple of administrations when work started on this in the 2010 timeframe. Uh, it took on, uh, it, it got more attention uh, by the Space Council and that resulted in, in Space Policy Directive 3. Uh, and, and that momentum needs to accelerate dramatically because of the because of the needs that weren't there five and 10 years ago. Uh, from our perspective, uh, this is from an AIAA perspective, this is one of our key uh, priorities to address because of not just from a policy perspective, but also there are many technical questions that need to be answered. And it's extremely important that we get the momentum going on this so that we address so that we protect our national security assets, we protect our civil space assets, and we protect the burgeoning low earth economy. This is a this is a critical function that needs to be addressed. The coalition that which includes professional societies, human space explorers, the financial sector, the research organizations, the industry interests, and importantly the insurance sector uh, is, and also some input from the international community. We've pulled in people like Ken Hodgkins, retired State Department. Um, who now is president of the International Space Enterprise Consultants. We pulled in all those perspectives to help drive this Hill outreach uh, and this outreach that we're doing to, to firm up and get SPD3 into authorization and appropriations language. So I think it's important to recognize that this is not just AIAA off talking about it. It's a coalition uh, Satellite Industry Association, Mitchell Institute, Association of Space Explorers. Kevin O'Connell's part of it. it yeah, but one person at a time. So, um, <laughs> you know, we've got, lot, we've got all the right people here uh, and all the right support to, uh, for this coalition to make sure that there's one voice, one strong voice that's out um, pushing on this message. And the Hill visits... Uh, and everything we've done have been a result of this coalition on the SPD3 question today. Yeah, I did want to ask you uh, just sort of a wrapping up thing it, uh, on these Hill visits. You know, I'm, I imagine you're not trying to scare anybody or anything like that. But is there a timetable that you're giving them on saying why this this needs to be done now? Or, or, and, you know, I'm not asking you to predict when a catastrophe could happen, but are we already there? Or is this something that's only going to get worse before it gets better? Well, we're in a situation right now. I, I, actually, we are trying to scare. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> to, to, to be honest with you, because every day that we go by without addressing this issue increases the risk of a catastrophe. Uh, and and as soon as we have the catastrophe, then we're in reactionary mode. We'll figure it out, but we'll figure it out much more chaotic, reactionary mode. Uh, and what we're pushing on is to get these things in place so that 
we can think through it and do the right things up front so that we're prepared for we're prepared for issues won't be perfect but we're better prepared for the issues and at least have a plan that we can use as the starting point for whatever comes up to be your best every day you need proven quality sleep every night science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental emotional and physical health and that's where the sleep number bed comes in and let me tell you ever since i've had it my sleep iq score is just going higher and higher and did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep for many couples temperature struggles are a real challenge so here are some tips to help you both sleep just right Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 smart bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 special edition smart bed plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com/podcast1. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.